You're listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast with your host, Lori Rowlandson. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Leading Innovation at Work, the New Normal Special Edition. I'm so excited about today's guest, Betty Ryger. Uh, she's the Chief Technology Officer at Microsoft. Welcome today, Betty. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's great to see you. Hey, Betty, one of the questions I always ask one of our guests is around career path. I mean, you've achieved such an incredible esteemed position in your career as, as CTO at Microsoft. Can you just, when you were in kindergarten, is this what you dreamed of being <laughs> when you grew up? Or what was your career path that led you to your position that you're in today? It's, it's such a great question. So um, actually growing up, I did not want anything to do with technology. Uh, my father's a longtime IBM employee, uh, worked with AS400s and mainframes. Uh, I went to computer camp as a kid. Uh, as I went through high school and university, I was very determined not to get into technology. Um, in fact, I started taking my courses so I could be a broker. Um, and then ended up working for a small desktop services company. I graduated during an economic recession, so ended up working for a desktop services company that didn't have any technical people. And because of the family environment that I grew up in, I had some technical skills. Uh, so I ended up doing a bunch of technical work for them. Uh, it turns out not only was I fairly decent at it, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, writing code is, is uh, basically problem solving, which I love to do. Uh, so that launched my career in technology. So uh, I ended up working for a couple of the big systems integrators, uh, flipped over to the consulting side, probably about 10 to 15 years into my career, and then spent uh, you know 12 to 15 years or so on the consulting side of the industry. And then earlier this year, um, uh, just a several weeks before pre-COVID, uh, made the jump to Microsoft to join uh, the One Commercial Partner Program as their CTO. Um, absolutely love it. Microsoft's a fantastic company to work for. Um, so I'm, I'm having an absolute blast. And I have to say, for all that my career in technology was an accident, um, I've, I've absolutely loved every second of it. So That's amazing. So you made the jump over to Microsoft just, it sounds like two months just before COVID hit. Is that right? Absolutely. Eight weeks before COVID hit, I started a new job. So very strange times to be starting a new job and, you know, building your network, uh, for anybody who's ever switched jobs, you know how that goes. The first few months, you're really building out that network and, you know, figuring the organization out. And to be doing that um, completely remotely via Teams uh, is a very different experience. Wow. So for those, what did you remark on that was different during that time? I mean, my goodness, what a way to jump into the deep end that was deeper than you thought. What, what observations did you have during that time that you, you thought were interesting or unexpected? So when you're building your network, uh, so much of that happens naturally when you're actually on site. So, you know, you have the hallway conversations, you sit in a meeting and somebody says, oh, I should introduce you to this person. You, know, you walk down the hall to that person's office and you get a chance to chat. Because this is all virtual, I've had to be very deliberate about who I'm going to connect with um, and how I'm going to maintain and build those connections. You know, I don't think, I mean, I think that, you know, we're going to talk a bit about what some of the permanent changes are. Um, I do see one of the changes being that we're going to spend a lot less time on site. Nothing can take the place of, of getting a chance to go and sit 
in front of a person face to face and have a conversation. I don't think that that's going to be 100% remote. Um, but yeah, for sure, I've had to be very deliberate about how you build those networks. And then how do you maintain those connections once you've made them? Oh, that's so important. I think even a new company that probably had a good propensity, like a one of wonderful company, global presence, probably with some existing footprint and familiarity with working globally, technology enabled, obviously, but still a bit of a curve uh, that mm -hmm. the tools support. That's very interesting story. So I'd love to get your thoughts and obviously your bird's eye view. You've had a very different view of the industry and some of the technology and tools that have really, um, really come into their time in such a short span of, of time during COVID. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think are the top three to five things that you think are permanently going to change or be influenced going forward in the way that we work? You've mentioned a, a couple briefly, but I'd love to get your thoughts on what kind of indelible mark you think that COVID has left on the way that we are going to work going forward? Well, it's interesting. You know, um, we had a prep call last week and I was thinking about this a lot over the weekend. Um, I had a long drive out to the cottage because Thanksgiving weekend here and we, we always close the cottage down. And so I was listening to a couple of podcasts about sort of the economic impact of COVID. And it led me to think about when we talk about work changing and what, what are some of the permanent changes, we typically, um, you know, I work in technology, I think mostly about people like me who work in an office where a, most of our work can transition home. So yes, it's, it's different and there's a lot of changes around how we work. But in all honesty, my work can transition out, out, of, out of my you know, work environment, my office, and into my house. What I really started thinking about was, was we are not the whole of that population. We are a very privileged group of the working people in Canada. You know, there are, there's huge populations that, that where their work cannot transfer out of their work environment, you know, essential workers. Um, people who work in factories, construction, et cetera, they, they will, their work will change in, in as much as they have to think about safety a lot more than they had to before. Um, and then we have a huge population of those people whose work can't transition out of their workplace, like cleaners, um, you know, wait staff, people who work in restaurants and retail, where, you know, your work is, is in the workplace and that doesn't transition. So for those folks, you know, we have to think about how do we make sure that our recovery through all of this is inclusive. And it's, and it's tough to always remember that for those of us that are, have the privilege of having jobs that can transition to home, yes, our work environment will change, but we have to try to make sure any recovery is inclusive of those where that isn't the case. So they, they are, they are without a workplace. So you know, then I started thinking, okay, so for those of us who, for whom, you know, work did transfer to home and what happens with us, I think one of the first big changes is where our work is going to happen in the future. So, you know, right now we're mostly on work from home. Most offices haven't made steps towards opening up and those that have started to open up, I mean, the, the population that they can encompass is, you know, usually about 25 to 30% are the numbers that I'm hearing. I think long-term, um, a lot of the people I talk to say that they're never going to return full-time into the office. You know, what happens to a workforce where, you know, 50 to 75% of your workforce is always remote, where you're never all together in one space. That very much changes the way we need to interact with each other. It changes our reliance on technology to, to make sure that, the, that, that we're, we're 
um, collaborating appropriately. So, so I think that's one of the big changes. Never mind the impact on real estate and uh, you know commercial and residential real estate, and the impact it has to them when you know offices no longer have the same number of people coming into them. You know what happens to a commercial real estate? What happens to residential real estate outside of Toronto when all of these people realize that if I'm only going to be in the office two days a week, I don't need to maintain expensive Toronto real estate. I can go live anywhere. So that, that's really interesting to think about, you know, do we ever end up back in the office the same way? And and I don't believe we will. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's interesting. You talk about, the, you know, our economy and what we're based on and frontline workers. There's, I read a statistic recently that 63% of our economy in North America is based on knowledge workers. So it's people that produce something with their mind instead of a physical activity and have that option to work remote. And I mean, to your point, it's interesting when you look at, uh, you know, in our case, Toronto as a microcosm, people are looking at the greater Toronto area. Well, why couldn't we engage somebody from the Philippines or absolutely really opens up the opportunity for, I think, gig workers as well. If work is what you do, not where you are, mm -hmm. whether you're in the greater Toronto area or you know, Singapore or some other country, it, it probably doesn't matter. But what do you think are some of the dependencies that are necessary for a distributed team, Betty? What's your thoughts on that? So I would say technology, technology, technology. Um, you know, having the right platform that allows you to collaborate, um, not just connect uh, in a meeting. So, you know, the video conferencing has become the norm. And I think most people I talk to talk about the, you know, being in meetings from the point you wake up to the when you go to bed like back to back but we so we have to get better at collaboration we cannot spend you know eight or nine hours a day in video conference and be productive so you need a platform that doesn't just enable the video chat you know us having a conversation but allows us to share files to share analysis um, to collaborate on documents um, you know to resolve issues without having to get into a call you know, a lot of people talk about being pretty burnt out because our line, you know, back to sort of that where conversation, but our line between work and home is completely blurred. You know, I, I eat 10 feet in that direction and I sleep 20 feet in that direction. So there is no delineation between work and home. And it's really easy to get into back to back to back meetings and not think about about drawing a line between where I work and, and when I'm not working. So I think that platform is so important, you know, um, obviously working at Microsoft, I'm a huge Teams fan, um, always have been even before I got this job, but it's a collaboration platform first and, and a video conferencing second. Um, so this is a platform, you, we've got planner and lists and, you know, you can embed your Power BI into, into, into Teams. You know, it's a, it is a platform that is meant to help us work more efficiently. And I think that that's, that's really important in a world where we are distributed because we have to find ways to resolve issues, um, to have discussion, to collaborate on deliverables without always having to come together and have a conversation about it, or we won't be as productive. It's not the same as when we all sat in an office and I could pop my head out of my door and say, hey, have you had a chance to look at that? You know, can we talk about this? It's not the same. So we have to be more deliberate in how we collaborate. You know, I, I just love some of the things that you said that I think are key enablers going forward. Like 
one of the one of my pet peeves, even pre-COVID, was the endless treadmill of email, right? Oh yes. That just it was like, have you ever gone to the gym and the, the treadmill is set on a speed too fast that you can run and you're trying to keep up <laughs> yes. you're kind of sliding backwards? That's how I felt with email all the time. It was just the bane of my existence. And yep. somebody once said to me, when you start with your email inbox, you're starting with other people's priorities, not yours, but it's an endless inundation of information and priorities and competing priorities. And I always found email very anti-productive. And we as a company at BGIS have also switched over to uh, Teams. And I, I am evangelistic about it because it allows you not only that time shifted discussion but allows you to have a very interactive discussion that's not just like throwing the proverbial tennis ball over the net to the other person. It allows a, a very different level of collaboration, which I think is so important and allows that agile work on a very different level. Agile work or productive work is not doing more emails. It's having better outcomes. And, and I think the second thing that I really love about the suite of technologies is the casual conversations. Uh, you know, we tend to be fairly utilitarian when mm -hmm. we schedule a meeting. Uh, you know, it's for a very specific purpose, agenda, bop, 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 you know, specific items. Whereas, you know, I miss that interaction with my colleagues. So if I have a little chat area off to the side or a little water cooler area, it allows you to interact with people in a time shifted way that is um, still fulfills that human need but um, is a little less utilitarian. You get more on the human side, ironically, with technology. I, and yep. any, I appreciate both of those features. Yeah, um, you know, I always say uh, Teams is Teams is really not a tool. It is a collection of tools. So yeah. it actually enables a, a lot of different types of interaction. So I have found um, now that. I, you know, we have this heavy reliance on teams. My inbox has shrunk. The amount of emails I, I get in a day has gone from the hundreds to the tens, you know, and I can see that shrinking considerably over the next, you know, year or whatever as, as, we, as we embed even more functionality into teams. Um, you know, I, I live in teams all day long now. Um, you know, my approvals are done there. Um, like you said, you have the casual conversation. I have a quick question for somebody. It's not an email it's a quick I am. So that has made a world of difference. And I think that, you know, it also is a way to enable inclusion. Um, I think, you know, there, as much as um, a distributed environment has its downsides and that lack of sometimes human connection, there's an upside here too. You know, um, I've worked with people who have visual impairments. I've worked with people with hearing issues. Um, you know, it's, um, people who, who are struggling with accents, things like that. Teams and, and the heavier reliance on technology actually facilitates, um, uh, I guess, better access for people who, for whom sitting in a meeting room can sometimes be challenging, right? We, we are not all very good all the time at, at making sure that we're thinking about somebody who might have an accessibility issue. So, so this heavy reliance on technology actually does enable a fair bit of inclusion as well. And I really like that aspect. I think the, the other thing that we've introduced in a lot of our meetings is a check-in. So making sure that we're 
maintaining that human connection by asking people how they're doing. Um, it's funny because I would say, uh, I've, I've heard from my team that they learned more about the personal lives of their coworkers since COVID than when we were all in the office together. And it's because we made this deliberate point of saying, hey, how are you doing? And because we would sit there in a meeting and then, you know, people's kids are coming in or their dogs interrupting, you know, boy, you have a huge appreciation for people who have small kids who actually have to try to get work done at home because man, you know, um, ours are old enough that they, they should know better. I mean, not that there's not a, a snack. Can I have a snack emergency here and there, but <laughs> you know, for the most part, but people with small kids, how do you ever get anything done when you're in, at home, you know, but that, that human connection is so important. So we've made a real point of making sure that when we're, when we're in meetings and when we're kicking things off, that we're taking that time to have a bit of human connection before we launch into an agenda. Whereas I think when you're in the office all the time, a lot of the times we did just launch into the agenda because the hallway conversations is where you got that personal update and how are you doing? You know, it, I love what you're saying because I think we've had to adjust over a short period of time to and become experts in a technology that maybe wasn't as mainstream, but normally the adoption curve would have been much more elongated than it was, but just out of necessity, suddenly, you know, we've become experts at collaborative technologies like Teams over the last seven, eight months, right? Yep. And we're starting to benefit from that. We're starting to adjust in the way that we work. So I think initially it was very, uh, very challenging for us. And, you know, you're completely cut off from the way that you're used to working into a new way of working. And now I'm starting to see people thrive working. They don't want to go back to the way that we worked before. They want Absolutely. kind of the best of both worlds, right? So I do see that. I'd you know, and I, I think I really hear your point about the humanity behind technology. And, but I think that smart people are solving that. And, developing those features and that those amenities within the technology environment. So how do you think technology is starting to help us accommodate the human side uh, of interactions as we go forward? So that's really interesting. Um, we actually have teams that study how do you make this um, a less exhausting process, these constant video conferences, because it's very tiring to sit in video conferencing. Um, so we, we have teams that, that, that think about, okay, so what are the features that will help, help um, I guess, facilitate that human connection and make people feel more like they are connecting to each other? So one of the things that we've introduced is together mode. Um, and if you haven't seen it, it makes the folks on the meeting all look like they're sitting in, in a stadium seating in front of you. And I'm sure somebody, some smart person out there could tell you why that makes a difference. But when you are speaking to a group, seeing them virtually sitting in chairs in front of you makes a world of difference. And I don't know why that is, but it really does. I've done it a couple of times. And when I, as soon as I've got the audience in together mode, it feels more interactive. I feel like I'm getting more questions. I feel like I'm almost in the room with them. And that is different. We're introducing a virtual commute. Uh, so for people who need that break between, you know, I got up, took my shower, ate my breakfast. Now I'm gonna start work. Here's my virtual commute time. So we're introducing, we've got a partnership going with Headspace, which is a meditation app. If you're unfamiliar with it, I totally love Headspace. Um, so, so, you know, there's a lot of things technology can do to really help. And, you know, 
I, I see a time in the near future where, you know, even languages won't be a barrier anymore, where the translation, you know, as it is, we have transcription and you can see the transcription. And, and that technology of being able to translate multiple languages into your own language so that you can follow along and we, we don't have language barriers, uh, that is, you know, that's coming. So that's, you know, I mean, I just think that, that that enables so much and so much inclusion. I think we have to be mindful um, of the folks for whom technology is a barrier, uh, where, you know, especially for those of us who are in office environments, um, you know, we've got companies that are providing us with technology, but there are the folks that are in economically, you know, the technology is a barrier. Uh, folks that can't shift to online learning, people who, who have uh, live in a small space and have multiple people that are all trying to work from home in, in the same small space. So technology can't overcome all of those barriers. And I think we really have to think about, you know, how do we as a society ensure that as we all start to rely more on more on technology for work, for learning, for everything, how do we make sure that that is inclusive, that we aren't seeing um, technology just increase the divide between people and, and call it a digital divide, right? Create this digital divide between the haves and the haves nots. So I think we have to be more conscious of those things because as technology advances and we can all do more from a distributed environment, that doesn't necessarily include everybody. Oh, gosh, Betty, a few things I want to underline there. I think, you know, based on what you said, it really opens up the opportunity for much more inclusivity, not just for accessibility and people of, you know, of customized or special needs, uh, but also translation and labor arbitrage and the ability to get affordable labor. I mean, one of the things we were talking about last year in North America is the war for talent Absolutely. and the ability to to access talent. Well, if it doesn't matter where they sit in the world and we don't have a language barrier, then that is going to open up a huge amount of opportunity for us to um, you know, be more global in our thinking, be more accepting and, and you know, get the skills that we need without having to rely on them you know, sitting in the greater Philadelphia area or within such and such a commute right. to the office. And I think that's amazing. But I, you know, I, it's interesting because, you know, I'm from the real estate side. I think it is much more agile to customize the environment for an employee in a technology environment than it is the physical environment because Absolutely. there's so many other considerations. And obviously we need to do both, but uh, I, I see the greater aptitude and flexibility to create the tools and the environment of tools that support our employees to be productive um, much easier than the physical environment. That's yeah, interesting. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. And, and I really see the foundation for our next evolution of workplace, which might be behind the goggles of a virtual reality headset, right? Is uh, yeah. you know, how you engage with people, whether, you know, and I really, I really appreciate Microsoft's work. And I've, I've just heard, I've been researching some development work about you know, what they're planning in the future, just little glimpses of it. But it's really exciting to see how they're focused on taking things to the next level and really trying to make sure we're not um, overlooking that humanity, we're interacting and satisfying some of those things that really do make us productive at work, which includes the human side as well as the technology side. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I think teams that have connections to each other are just that much more productive, right? When you, when you know the people that you're working around and with, it, it just, it, it makes you that much more productive. You know, the, the team, the team at Microsoft, we, the, the culture um, is based on, you know, response, responsibility, accountability, integrity, those values just ring true across the organization. Satya Nadella has done a fantastic job of really transforming Microsoft into a culture where we are, are team-based, values-driven. Um, and so that human connection is really important. Um, and, and you can see as we all shift to a more distributed environment that, that you do have to make a conscious effort to make sure that you are aware of those things, conscious of those things, and making a deliberate effort. I, you know, I think about somebody who is, who is brand new in career right now, who is just launching into their career, and how different an environment this is. I have a 14-year-old nephew who started high school, and his high school experience has been completely different. Um, and I was, and I had a conversation with him about that, and was thinking to myself, you know, we have some new hires that have just graduated university, and they are just starting their very first job, and they are starting their very first job in their bedroom at their mom and dad's house. And that is a very different experience. So we as, as leaders have to be very conscious of that. And it's, it's made it a very different motion to think about how do I make sure that we are engaging those people and they're learning that, you know, they're, they're on their learning path and they're on their way to success and that they're gonna have a positive and productive experience with us. It's very different uh, to lead a group when, especially of young people that are brand new in career and, and aren't established already. You know, I was thinking, as I said earlier, I had to be very deliberate in, in thinking about my networking and how, who I was gonna connect with and when and how. And, uh, but I've, I've been in, you know, I've been working for a long time. So that's not that different emotion for me. Yeah, I had to do it via video conference. I can't just pop down a hall, but, but yes, I'm, I'm in a position where that's, that's the, the networking and maintaining that network is not a new emotion for me. So I was thinking about that for those young people for whom this is very different. Um, you know, you're just learning all of this. So that's very different as well. We have to be conscious of that too. I think there's a lot of um, learning that we're doing about how does this all work as we go forward. Yeah. I also, I, sorry. Please go ahead. I was going to say the heavy reliance on technology, I think, is also driving a huge spike in need for um, better security and thinking more about security. When we you know, when you do 90% uh, of your work online and we have all these collaboration tools, it's fantastic, it's very productive. It only works if it's all secure. You think about the, the nightmare situation where I'm collaborating on a document with somebody and then accidentally share some confidential information with that person. It's not just security from a let me protect my environment. It's let's make sure everybody's thinking about security all the time, thinking about confidentiality, privacy, thinking about how you maintain all of that in this very virtual, very online collaborative world. No, that's actually a very good point that not a lot of people talk about is, of course, with distributed work comes some perils of information security. And, you know, in the last six, seven months, we've seen cybersecurity, cyber terrorism go up by, you know, some statistics I've read is 400%, like very, very yep. high. And so, you know, one company that we work with had to bring everybody back to the office behind the firewall because they had a serious security breach. So the, the, the dichotomy of that is because organizations are under such financial pressure, 
uh, we're seeing them cut those budgets uh, that are normally in their, their IT department. So mm -hmm. it's something we can't forget to forego because when those events happen, it's like risk management is kind of like an insurance policy. You don't really need them until you really need them. And yep. so uh, that's a great advice, Betty, is to not forget to take the eye off of the information security and whatever platform you're using and making sure that it's catching up to the way that we work because I still see a bit of a lag between this new way of how we've had to work with information security. So that, that continues to be a focus for sure. Yeah, for sure. You know, we saw, we saw customers do two, two years worth of transformation in two months. Satya Nadella says that all the time. Two, two years worth of transformation in two months you know, it, it's only productive if it's secure still. People have to be able to trust the, the technologies and the companies that provide those technologies. They have to be able to trust both in order to truly rely on this online world that we're shifting into, right? Yeah. You know, Betty, I also appreciate your earlier comments about mentoring and people that are just coming into the workforce early in their career. And, you know, whether it be a, a pairing system or a mentoring system, I can't imagine what it would be like coming out of university and having your first job, if you can get one in this climate, and then trying to learn the ropes uh, in your first job in a new company and just finding your way around. And I've seen people triage that with mentoring and things like that. But I think I'm quite excited and bullish about the kind of work environment that that generation is going to breed going forward, because using technology tools to do what we're doing now is going to be like air. It's just going to be, you know, so natural, ubiquitous. And I think it's really going to take us to the next level of potential of, you know, our ability to work collaboratively with labor. And I know we're going through a little bit of challenges right now because we've had to move so quickly, but I really think, you know, I'm so, one of the things I, I'm so impressed with humanity is that we are great in times of adversity. We always find some lesson to learn and we always evolve forward. And if we have to, you know, all point our minds towards solving something and that is the humanity and interaction of what we need going forward to be productive, I have every confidence that we will solve that. And I thank you so much for your leadership. Uh, Betty, if, if anyone wants to reach out to you and find out more information about Microsoft Teams or, or you and your career path, how could they get in contact with you or find out more information? So absolutely reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn's the, the tool to use. Uh, you can message me, uh, connect to me on LinkedIn and happy to share any information or uh, knowing that I am not the expert in all things Microsoft because it's uh, definitely a big company and we do a lot of work. I'll point you the right person for sure. Yeah, a little bit of traffic cop doesn't hurt. Sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> Betty, thank you so much for being a guest today and sharing your wisdom. I always enjoy our conversations. I always learn something every time we chat. It's just never often enough. I, I miss seeing you in person. And Absolutely. Sipping a glass with you in person when I see you again someday. Hopefully we're over all of this by next spring and we can uh, get around a golf. That sounds great, Betty. Okay, thanks. Awesome. Thank you, Lori. Take care. You've been listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast. Hey, if you have questions or comments about this episode, reach out to us via our website at www.leadinginnovationatwork.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit like and subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you tune in. You can find me, Lori Rowlandson, on LinkedIn or via my website, 
at laurierolandson.com. That's L-O-R-R-I-R-O-W-L-A-N-D-S-O-N.com. Thank you for listening.